Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the show that tells the stories of diverse leaders who found belonging in our industry. So you can too. I'm Nicole Kasperson. In today's episode, I hung out with Trevor Marshall, the Chief Technology Officer at Current. Current is the challenger bank that has been dubbed one of the most influential fintech platforms next to companies like Stripe, Chime, and Klarna. In this episode, we talk about how Trevor's background as a trained musician translated into a world filled with coding and technology, why being a creative is a huge advantage in the world of fintech, and the importance of using your creativity to be an effective communicator to your employees and your user base. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Trevor Marshall. Trevor, thank you so much for joining Humans of Fintech. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Nicole. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So I love first jumping in to your background and learning about the huge influence it has on your career and why you chose to be a part of the fintech industry. So to start, the big thing here is that you really were kind of destined to be a musician. So maybe start there and and tell us about how that journey uh, and that process led you to uh, fintech? I definitely didn't grow up thinking I would become a fintech professional. I think the first thing I ever wanted to do was be a truck driver when I was seven, like every other you know, seven-year-old. Uh, I think maybe a air traffic control person at some point. What I first got really excited about as I was growing up was actually architecture and the way that, that buildings work. It was just something for many years I thought, oh, maybe I'll uh, design spaces or, or, or build houses. I, I really had this idea of like wanting to construct construct things. When I was in high school, I, I got really serious about music, actually, unrelated to architecture or anything like that. And and I spent the last really like three years of high school pretty much dedicating myself completely to becoming a professional concert percussionist, which is like a very esoteric classical music uh, thing. I was, you know, spending at least five hours a day practicing, spent going every every Saturday into the city to a conservatory to prepare for college. And so I was really on this one track of like, okay, I'm going to become a musician and that's going to be my entire being. It wasn't until I, I got into school, I got, in, I got into Columbia here in New York that, you know, I said, okay, well, I'll go, I'll go see sort of like, I'll go in as a music major, kind of figure it out from there. But I, towards the end of high school, I was like, well, do I really want to struggle like I'm seeing a lot of sort of my musician friends who were a few years ahead of me starting to struggle as they went through conservatory and all of the sort of crazy world of classical music. And so I went into college with a really open mind. Something else I got pretty excited about when I was younger was um, sports betting and just like uh, the numbers around taking risk and positioning and, and, and things like that. So I, I, kind of, I took an economics class as, hey, maybe this could be something that appeals to me more. And that sort of led me into a math course, which led me into computer science, which ultimately like really changed the trajectory of what I saw myself doing sort of for the rest of my career. And, you know, of course, like any other college kid, I wasn't making massive 10, 20 year plans. I was just kind of doing what I was interested in. Towards the end of my school, I started looking for work. I wanted to, again, like not be a struggling musician. Um, and I ended up uh, finding an internship at Morgan Stanley. Um, at the time, I was really excited about Bitcoin. This was 2011, 2012. I thought, okay, well, I can't really go out and become a Bitcoin professional, but maybe I can work in a place where they're trading currencies 
And I ended up after my internship getting a job on the foreign exchange desk at Morgan Stanley. So we've just gone through like a ton of different things, but you know, really that's like my entire childhood through the end of my college. So <laughs> even though it sounds kind of all over the place, I, it really seemed pretty natural as I was going through it. But yeah, that's how I got my uh, career started. And that's how I ended up on a foreign exchange desk from, you know, starting by being a musician. That is super interesting. I love hearing everyone's unique journey. And, you know, it actually makes me think uh, my season one finale ended with Gloria Marquez, founder of BlockFi. And she had said how, you know, being a generalist in our industry, especially when you're working on these, you know, uh, new fintech companies that are really still very much in their infancy actually is such a uh, strength. And so that's, that's kind of like, you give me those vibes a little bit, right? Like someone who just kind of like, had a lot of interests, obviously, with the common thread of creativity. And I think what's extra interesting is thinking about like, you know, a, a musician, um, and I, I love music. I'm like, it's like my, my passion if it wasn't, you know, storytelling and uh, what I'm doing today. So we have that in common. But a musician is like very, you know, you're very creative. You're very like, you love finding different ways to tell stories. And I think that's what I resonate with it. And I imagine it's probably like what you resonate with it too in that process. So I think it's also interesting because you ended up at Current being a chief technology officer. And I almost feels like you maybe would have lent itself to being more of like a CMO or, or that kind of thing. So it's interesting to take like your very creative background and it actually apply to a role that like I don't think anyone ever expects to be creative, but it but maybe actually is. And you can kind of debunk that for us a bit. Yeah, well, I, I think like if we, we pull out to what I really love, like what actually motivates me, ultimately it is communication and, mm -hmm. and like being able to connect with people through some, some sort of medium. So, you know, whether I'm playing music and expressing sort of like the ideas of Bach, right, in like on a marimba or whatever, like I'm expressing a certain idea, I'm connecting with people in the audience. If I'm writing music, it's an even more direct thing. And I actually found that writing software was the most efficient communication mechanism that I found. Like I've got a lot of communication tools in the tool set, so to speak. You know, I can I can write music, I can I can, you know, write words pretty okay. Like it's good enough to, <laughs> to get a liberal arts degree. Um, but but really like writing software is an extremely efficient way to connect with tons of people because there's very measurable outcomes of the things that I'm doing. And there's what I really love when I'm in the process of sort of building product and a lot of, you know, yes, CTO, but uh, the first five years, it was like 10 people. So CTO doesn't really mean much. And, you know, I still, you know, it, the, the meaning is changing every year for me as, as our company grows bigger, but like, in those early, early days and still now, like I write a lot of code and I think a lot about our product and I think a lot about how all the little, all the little ways we can create important experiences to our customers. And so, yeah, communication is the main thing and, and the creativity of, and the desire to express these ideas and to see the impact and get the satisfaction of understanding that what I put into the world has changed people's lives and has changed people's viewpoints and whatever way that might be. It's an extremely concrete way to do it when you're writing software. So to me, it feels very natural. And actually, when I speak with a lot of software engineers, a lot of people do come from sort of like music or art backgrounds, because I think yeah. that is a pretty consistent thread for a lot of engineers. I'd love to hear more about 
you're, you might be the first person and maybe I just don't know a lot of software engineers myself that has told it like that, has said, you know what, this is actually like an incredibly um, viable and, and impactful way to communicate with people. But it's like behind the scenes, I guess, right? Like no one really necessarily, at least, you know, like, right? like a user doesn't know like, man, this code is so good. It's really speaking to me. No, instead yeah. they just see like <laughs> an end product, right? But people do feel that way about product. And I think it is really important, especially when you're like an early engineer, you have to be a super product person. You have to be able to empathize on the, the full user experience because you're in a space, it's complete, complete blank space, right? Nothing exists at the beginning. And even as you're building stuff, there's a real disregard for the things that exist. Like when we started Current in 2015, you know, we went through two years of just I think we had five public prototypes that other external users were using. And each one of those was so different from the one that came before it. But there were there were these pieces that ultimately ended up in our main product, the team banking product we launched in 2017. But like the disregard for, um, okay, I need a set, you know, rules. These are exactly the things I need to create. Like you have to be able to disregard that and, and operate in a much more creative mode. And you have to have that that sort of product mindset, and that that is what people connect with. And you know, I think about when I was writing music, and I was writing like you know just kind of stupid like electronic beats and stuff. And I would always send it to my friends, and I'd be like, "Oh, like let me know what you think about this." And it was like kind of like a chore for them to digest that. And it's just not unless you're an incredible musician. You know, I'm not an incredible musician, but like it's really hard to communicate broadly because people have to be interested in what you're creating. And it's a lot easier when you're trying to solve someone's problem, which is like people are coming to you. You know, people go to current because they need banking services for free. That is better than their bank, right? Like you put yourself in a position where you're creating something that people are pulled to. And music, sometimes you get that if you're both lucky and insanely talented. But right. more often than not, it's a push. It's like, yo, <laughs> check out my new beat. Like it's sick. But the pull of like, you need to listen to my music is usually just like a narcissist that, um, you know, got behind Ableton. I mean, you're doing it though. Like you're not being a narcissist, but like you're doing actually in probably, you know, and you made the right choice in a sense, right? Because you're probably doing it in a more impactful way, but you're bringing all of those elements together and applying it to the CTO role. And it's interesting because a few weeks ago, I recently wrote in my in my newsletter about Current, I was wanting to dissect your marketing strategy, just the way that you guys, I, I think that you arguably are one of the most creative challenger banks out there, especially for the Gen Z millennial you know, crowd that you're after. And it's funny because in my head, I'm like really giving a lot of credit and because I don't necessarily always know any better right, to like the, the marketing team or branding or like, you know, influencing marketing. And but I actually am now seeing that like, because you are so human centric in the CTO process or the software engineering process that really comes across as like, not at all something that you think about human connection when you're building that, at least when you're not in that space. So I actually feel like, yeah, maybe like the CTO, at least in your position, right? Almost deserves a little more credit in that aspect, right? Because you, like earlier you said, right? Like the product users can feel when the product is like, made for them. And that does have a lot to do with the communication of like the coding or whatever it is that you've created on the back end. That's like a massive epiphany for me. I really didn't think of it like that ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like our marketing team is amazing. So no, not to take anything away right. from that. But ultimately, 
it's really hard and really expensive uh, to sell a product that doesn't have that pull factor, right? Like this whole product market fit, like this is extremely real. And, and good marketing is great marketing when it has a good or a great product in the sense of like a big part of our marketing strategy is working with creators, putting sort of our brand and messaging in their hands so that it's a trusted voice and lots of stuff that you can spend probably hours talking to Adam, our, our VP of marketing um, <laughs> about. But at the end of the day, like that doesn't work if your product doesn't work. And so it really does start with what we're offering and the value we're giving to people, pain we're relieving, the gains that we're creating, that, that kind of thing. I love this like transition from creative, musician, all of the things into the uh, current role and kind of like debunking these uh, more engineering roles as if, you know, I think people, if I was like, go back to my college days and I hear someone like go into engineering or programming or anything like that, it's usually like, because I know I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to work for Facebook one day or whatever, meta, whatever. And now it's like, but you're, you're, you're giving us such a different flavor of that. And I think that's just so awesome. So I would also maybe love to jump into the moment where you really felt like fintech would be the place where you'd find this sense of belonging that you clearly have. So for me, like if we go, you know, I ended college by joining Morgan Stanley to pick up the story from there, I guess. The guy who hired me, Stuart, he's been my boss now through every job that I've had as a professional person. When I met him, the thing that I was most excited about going into sort of my professional work life was was Bitcoin. And for him, he like very clearly after many years on Wall Street um, understood and, and like trading in this macroeconomic seat that he was in really understood the implications of what was coming here um, in terms of sort of major changes in the world order of how international settlement worked and sort of the monetary global monetary system, like what the implications of having things outside of central bank control as an alternative to sort of the ending of a long, very long sort of US dominated world in which, you know, post-World War II, US becomes like this hegemon that every barrel of oil is priced in dollars. There's major implications for the global reserve. And that's been degrading for quite a long time, actually. This, the, what's happening in Russia and Ukraine is accelerating that, but this is actually like a very long-term trend. And so for him, he really understood the macro side of it, and I really understood the tech side of it. And both of us were equally excited about sort of what the potential was, especially for individual users. But we were both traders, right? Like he had spent his whole, whole career trading, which is really value transfer. It's like ultimately beating everyone else because there's this kind of zero sum concept in a lot of markets where if you're making money, someone else is losing money. And that's kind of how most trading works. There's there's some exceptions, which I would say is more like investing, but in public markets, it's very much sort of like eating other people's lunch. For us, we were, after Morgan Stanley, he left, I followed him. We were doing some trading, which was like very native to us. We were doing some Bitcoin trading too. Um, we were doing building some statistical arbitrage models, raising some money for that. We really wanted to move away from that value transfer towards that value creation. And that's really, you know, we had a good opportunity, like a really great opportunity to start something inside of an incubator where we could just get a direction with some funding and go and build something in consumer finance. And we jumped on the opportunity. And so for us, like the whole motivation was really a larger view on where money was going. Not so much like, hey, I know the product that I need to deliver. But very early on, 
the vision statement for what we were doing, even before we had a product, was to connect the world financially. Because there was this idea that the underlying substrate of how payments work, which is ultimately how people live, again, back to like why I think what we're doing is so important to me is like, there's nothing more important for many people than like money. And if it's not the most important thing, it's it helps make really important things happen as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or they don't realize it's the most important. Yeah, exactly. So we, we wanted to be a part of that uh, transition. And that's why we just started in the early days, like really building straight into crypto products. We were building a lot of stuff on Ripple, some early stuff on Ethereum. We uh, had Bitcoin wallets and all these things, this concept of like banking without a bank. But there were, we really reality checked ourselves back in 2015. There wasn't a lot that you could do with crypto. And so we kind of moved away from that while maintaining the flexibility that we had started building to support crypto natively. And that actually became our core banking engine, which is what we've built now all of our products on today. That, that same initial concept of owning our own system of record, owning our own financial in integrations, pushing sort of all of the integrations with whether it's crypto, whether it is debit card networks, whether it's ACH networks, pushing those all out to the edge so that we could control user experiences. That's been sort of the motive of, of current. So again, it wasn't really like, okay, fintech, go and figure it out. It was more of this idea of, okay, I want to be a part of something that I know is massively going to change the way that people li live because I have this desire to communicate to people on a mass scale at a very personal level. It's something that I find exhilarating and, and that's what has driven me sort of my, my whole life in terms of what I seek. And that's kind of how we ended up in fintech. Now, since getting here, yeah, love meeting all the people. You get to go to a lot of similar happy hours. You, you build like friend groups. You see the same people at conferences like that. That's all great. And every, you know, lots of love for, for everyone here. But it was not the intention to join this community. It was sort of the intention to build this thing. And I ended up sort of in the mix. I love that you kind of had more of the journey. I always, sometimes people will ask me like, what was my first money memory? Or what was like my first memory of X, Y, and Z? Or when did I feel like I belonged? Or um, And it always feels more so like the string of moments or more so this thing that I was like chasing after or like me not feeling like I ever really fully belonged in like society. So I, it's, I think it's interesting that I like literally created like a content platform that like helps people find that sense of belonging because that was something I never felt or whatever it is. So it, I just love hearing those, those backstories to that because it does, you know, make a big difference. Would you say that Stuart is the person that you would name who really helped you feel like you found that sense of belonging in the industry or is there anyone else that really made an impact or we can just give all the credit to Stuart. Stuart Sands. Well, I think for Stuart, I, I give all of my career credit to, cause like he's been my mentor in my, my whole career, right? Like there's, you know, my career is very different without him, right? It's maybe I'm playing music or like living on the street. I don't know. But that uh, sort of like community aspect, I, it's hard to, to say like any individual person. It's, it's everyone. It's, it's investors that I've met over the years. It's, I think a big part is other operators. Like it's really awesome to connect with sort of peers at similar like you, challenger banks in particular because we have like so much of the same problem so you know you chat with with folks over at, at other companies and it's just just unlimited catharsis for like you know all the frustration and all of the problems that are so niche i think a lot of like it reminds me because i'm a huge metalhead i love 
subgenres within subgenres within subgenres. And so much of what you get from sort of these really niche communities are like this, this feeling of identification because no one, you know, things that other people don't know. And so when I talk to someone about ACH, um, who really understands ACH, it's like, a, oh, wow, other people actually get this and, and have heard about this thing. That's so cool. And that's where the belonging and community comes from. It's from like experiencing extremely esoteric problems and solving those problems and solving them in a way where you feel like you're the only person doing it. And then you meet someone who's also solved almost the same exact problem. And that's like instant bonding. Yeah, it's like the ancillary benefit of what we get into fintech for, right? Like you went in with, hey, I want to change the way that people interact with money or how they view it, right? And then you end up getting to have this community or you get to have more connections. And, you know, I felt that as well, right? I go to all the fintech conferences. I do all the things. I get to see all the same people. Um, and it's nice. I love, we, we love nerding out together and, and having a place to do that. And um, that's also, I, I love everything that you said because it's really largely about what Humans of FinTech is about is making those kind of uh, connections with others because we don't always get an opportunity to do that in our crazy world. So what would be one piece of advice that you would give to our listeners who have felt like outsiders and maybe how they can find their own sense of belonging in the space? I mean, definitely meeting other people who are working on similar problems. It will shock you how similar the problems are that you're facing because especially when it comes to things like either like technical integrations if you're on the engineering side like being able to connect with other people who are building out banking cores or building out you know ach integrations or debit card processing or whatever it might be like there are other people that that information is not on stack overflow that information is not public you just have to go and, and meet people and sort of vibe <laughs> and nerd out <laughs> on specs on the other side, there's like, there's a lot of business problems. You know, how do you scale an interchange business? How do you think about marketing spend? How do you think about lifetime value? How do you think about, you know, X, Y, and Z? And it's the same thing, finding other operators. So almost no idea is unique when it comes to like building a company. And so when, when you kind of look at your competitive landscape, if you're early on, you're going to find people who are within your sphere, just reach out to them. Like some people might be like not so open to talking, but you probably don't want to talk to them anyway. I certainly like pretty much anyone who inbounds to me, like sort of in the peer group, I love just getting on a, getting on a zoom with them and, and talking about it because at the end of the day, like we're not fighting each other, we're fighting everything else. And so there's this massive pie out there that we're all trying to get pieces of. Um, and I think that's also where some of the, the community comes from, which is like, Hey, we're all going after the same problem. And a lot of us can win because there's a lot of existing players in the space that, that we're going to kind of chip away at. And we're also going to create new categories and, and, and open air where you need other people to help prove out some of these ideas. So to your very, very direct answer to your question would be one, find other people who are working on what you're doing. And two, don't be afraid to like share what you're working on. Don't fall under the illusion that what you're working on is unique. Um, and don't fall under the illusion that like, hell, let's get like, okay, so yeah, NDAs are good in some cases, but like, don't just say, oh, my idea is incredible. Like your idea is probably okay. Execution is everything. And so if you can find other people that can help you push how you're going to actually execute the thing, you're going to benefit more than they are from hearing about your idea. So just like try to be as open as you can when you're building stuff. 
I love those pieces of advice. I think sometimes we do get a little secretive in what we're doing, but I think it actually is more impactful if we like shout it from the rooftops because you never know what kind of partnerships uh, can happen. I I just hosted an event last week and one of my speakers was saying how we kind of idolize individualism and that type of thing and saying oh, like, oh, one company did it or oh, one human did it, one billionaire was that impactful, whatever it is. In reality, we kind of wish the world idolized like the team a little bit more and idolize like partnerships. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is, is making me think of is a world where, you know, we aren't so afraid of sharing ideas. Cause you're right. You know, I, I think about how at the end of the day, like none of us are necessarily like making anything super new. We're just taking pieces from old toys to, and putting them together in a different way to make a new toy that is, you know, more accessible and cheap and can be completely profitable if, you know, we use technology right and we and we make all the, the pieces of technology talk to each other right and make that end user feel it in the right way. So I think you're hitting on all, all of the right things uh, when it comes to like more people getting in the space for, you know, the right reasons. And generally, like good people in the space want you to win because there's very real monetary consequences for if other if my peers are doing well like i am personally going to do well my team and and our equity is going to do well like there's a lot of the way that the investment works in the space it's very much a category and so if the category is doing well like you can also be a part of that story so it is it is very much a rising tide situation who is one person in fintech that you think we should follow who is really positively shaping the future of our industry there's a lot of people who are working on stuff i think generally like this is like my a very personal take but like i think twitter is like a nice a nice way to like concretely create ideas but the real people who are making changes are oftentimes not tweeting about it and so a lot of the people who are highly leveraged and impactful are not necessarily like ones that you would say are shaping it from a public perception. Like I think there's a couple of people who do a really good job of shaping the narrative and there's a really important purpose for that, for communicators, basically. Those are like the people who are active on Twitter and who are really um, helping to define in real time what's going on. But they are really a part of like shaping and molding the story as opposed to like some of them are heavy operators and all that good stuff. I, I'm not a huge like Twitter user myself, but there's a lot of people who are sort of under the under the hood, you know, working on the engines across the industry. And it's kind of it's like those are the ones that, you know, if I if I gave you those names, like it would be sort of lost on the <laughs> on the podcast. Um, in the sense of like there's just like seven or eight engineers at every company that we partner with that I think are incredible. So yeah, there's a lot of people doing a lot of cool things. I'd have to think more about like, if I was to think of like one person leading the way, I think, I don't know, I'm kind of like anti-individualism too, when it comes to that stuff. I don't think anyone's really doing it themselves. It is really a full team. So I, I don't know. I don't have a great answer to that question. That's a fair answer. I think whatever you felt authentically when you heard the question is a good answer. And I love it. You're the first person to answer it that way. And you know, we want those different views. So that was awesome. Okay, one of my last questions for you. If we need to be the change that we want to see, 
what change do you want to see in fintech and how will you embody it? I really would like sort of more openness, which is kind of what I was saying previously. Like, right. I think people should be a lot more open about, you know, what they're working on so that other people can help solve problems. I think that's probably one of the biggest changes. And it has gotten really good, like, especially in personal settings, like when you meet up with people and like people are generally pretty open about the problems that they're dealing with. But uh, I think in, in more public settings, people are often very cautious. Um, and like I've, I've launched now a bunch of stuff with Current and nothing works like when you first launch it. It takes lots of iteration and lots of improvements. So this sort of like forced anticipation of like the big launch, you've got something like super secret up the sleeve and all that. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's as far as I can tell, it's an illusion. Um, so yeah, I think just, you know, more honest conversations, less, you know, to the extent that people put BS into the world, like less of that, just more of, hey, what are you working on? How do you feel about it? How do you really feel about it? Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, I love that. I love the uh, the openness, the, you know, and we've seen, I guess, pretty pretty recently too, like we've seen instances of, of, of folks, you know, not feeling the love when it comes, I guess, to collaboration and openness. But, you know, um, it's something that I guess we could just be a little bit more like empathetic towards and uh, show show more appreciation in our space, especially if we want to be different than, you know, traditional finance or traditional systems. And what we're doing is hard. We're creating something new because the old way sucked. And so that takes all of us in it together to really make it happen. And so, and, you know, we're doing it. We have our little hiccups, but we're doing it uh, one step at a time. So tell us what we can expect from you and Current Next. So for us over the next few years, we're really focused on sort of two major themes in our roadmap. Uh, the first is sort of access to ownership, and that can mean a lot of different things, but basically what else can you do with your money besides spend it on a debit card? And that's important because I think income inequality is very much people who have assets and people who don't have assets. And when you have assets and inflation comes through, there's also asset price inflation. So your $5 gallon of gas is not as painful if your stock portfolio was up 15% the year before. Um, but that's not the reality for most people. Most people don't have access to ownership. I think um, companies like Robinhood, companies like, I mean, there's there's a ton who are like, who are really building out this ownership have done a really good job. And we want to help be a part of that because, you know, we're the primary financial relationship with our customers. So we have sort of this opportunity to help get them ownership. So that's one major theme in the roadmap. And the second is fairer access to credit, which is I've got a phone bill tomorrow. It's 50 bucks and it costs me $20 to get a payday loan. I'm going to pay that because the late fee is $30. So in my mind, I've saved $10. But the reality is that should be, if you amortize that APR, it's, you know, in the tens of thousands of percent. And so we think a lot about sort of the, the pain management of people who are living either paycheck to paycheck or not even in a sort of stressful situation, but still need that little extra buffer in a way that they can't access due to either not having much credit history or having not so good credit history. And so expanding the way that we think about credit is, is another sort of huge area on the roadmap. So those are like the two in terms of new features, but then we're just really, you know, we're trying to build best in class banking. So it's constant improvements to things like what is the spending experience like how does it feel to scroll through your transactions like all the little details that 
ultimately every single interaction that someone has with your app is a is an opportunity to to earn their trust and just becoming more and more excellent at each one of those little things because also like a lot of the big wins are gone everyone's done like all of the the big features as far as you know until there's there's there'll be more breakthroughs and then everyone will copy it and it'll just be like kind of the the, the normal thing but really i think the 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 path to victory so to speak is constantly compounding really in, like small changes on a daily basis and continuing to push the product forward because that compounding effect is not only relevant for your savings, it's relevant for your product development. Really well said. The type of attention to detail and the little things that may only come from someone as creative as a musician like yourself. So awesome way to close out this show. Trevor, thank you so much for sharing your story with me, being super vulnerable. I think listeners are going to have an awesome time resonating with this and just like debunking some things about the creative process when it comes to being a CTO and, you know, kind of a bring a new element and vibe to what that role can look like, especially in the fintech space. So thank you so much for joining. You got it. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too. 